0: For more than 20 years, Big Ass Fans has been the industry leader in comfort. It's state-of-the-art fans, evaporative coolers, and heaters have transformed the most inhospitable of spaces into the most inviting of environments. Learn more at BigAssFans.com.
1: Welcome to Menu Feed, a bi-weekly podcast from Winsight Media's two food service brands restaurant business and food service director. I'm Pat Coby, senior editor covering menu food and drink for both brands. Today I'm talking with Marc Forgione, chef owner of restaurant Marc Forgione and peasant restaurant in New York City. Mark didn't decide to become a chef until his 20s when he realized how much he enjoyed cooking for his college friends. He detoured from a major in psychology and went into hospitality management working summers at an American place, owned by his dad, Larry Forgione. Next stops included stints in France and overseeing the kitchens at a couple of BLT concepts. When he wrote a plan for his first restaurant, he wanted it to be a neighborhood fine dining spot, doing about 65 covers a night. Restaurant Mark Forgione turned out to be a little larger and more ambitious, and it's still going strong. He believes that karma brought him to Peasant, where nearly everything on the Italian forward menu is cooked in the wood-burning hearth. Listen as Mark talks about his culinary journey and shares the details about his next venture, an Italian tapas concept he's opening with his father in a space vacated by Mario Batali. Welcome, Mark. Thanks so much for joining me today.
0: Thank you. Happy to be here.
1: So let's start by you telling me a little bit about your culinary journey to get where you are today. I know you started at the age of 16 in the kitchen of an American place, which was your dad's restaurant, dad, Larry Forgione. So tell me a little bit about that and what happened after that.
0: I wasn't like um, born and bred or trained from birth to, to be a chef by any means. I actually didn't really know I wanted to be a chef probably to my early twenties, but I, you know, like most kids, I guess, you know, I think I was like, you know, a teenager and you know, wanted to make some money. And, you know, my dad said, well, you know, I can, I can give you a summer job or, you know, you can just like, you know, if my dad was a mechanic, I probably would have gone into the, the auto body shop. I mean, you know, I just needed uh, something I had already, believe it or not, I'd already done a couple hospitality driven jobs. I was, a uh, I was like a bartender slash waiter at a country club uh, for Hofstra University. So I had already like gotten my feet wet, I guess you could say, like in in the restaurant business, but I wanted to kind of get in the kitchen and kind of check it out. So, you know, I worked uh, the garmage and prep stations for a summer or two, and then I got uh, really lucky, I think the summer of whatever it was, 98 or 99, Chef Kazuto and his wife came to New York to open a restaurant with my dad called above. So I got to like go through an opening and spend the summer uh, working with two really talented chefs. And then it kind of just like went on like that for the next couple of years, you know, I'd go to school and come home and then work a summer. I I opened another restaurant called the grill room. I just, uh, you know, I just, I, I enjoyed it. You know, most 18, 19 year old kids like don't enjoy a 60 hour work week, but there was like something like fun about it. I don't know. I, I know I'm very lucky because not a lot of people get to do what they love and get paid for it. But like, I, I just always enjoyed it. It was like in the early years, it was kind of like being on like a pirate ship, you know, (laughs) it's like, you know, a lot of crazy different characters in the kitchen and all shapes and sizes and ages and ethnicities and I just I loved the the food and the people. And at the time, too, I didn't I didn't know that I was working, you know, at some of the best restaurants in the country. I just thought I was working at dad's restaurant, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, that that was how I got started.
1: Did you ever go to culinary school after that? Or I think I read that you went to you studied hospitality at one point.
0: Yeah. So I went to college to kind of see if there was something else, you know, I think I majored in in forestry at one point, you know, I was kind of like a hippie and like, I thought maybe I'd be a far stranger. And then I majored in psychiatry, um, which, you know, still interests me, which I didn't really know this. When you become a chef, you basically become a psychiatrist for all your employees right. too. So. I'm
1: sure it comes in handy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I think, I I don't know. I think I had like one of those weird kind of, aha moments. Um, you know, I used to cook for my friends at school. Um, you know, not too many 19 year old guys can, you know, cook dinner for 10 people and their girlfriends. And I think I was like cooking one of those dinners and, you know, not really wanting to go to psych class the next day. And I just kind of had like an aha moment, like, you know, like, what am I like trying to get away from this? Just, just because I don't want to do what my dad does. Like, You know, like this is fun. So it wasn't like all in at that point, but I think I just had, that was when I was like, you know, maybe I'll I'll change my major. And I majored in hotel restaurant management. And coincidentally, the school I was at, UMass, had one of the better programs in the country. I think it was like number three at Mm -hmm. the time. Um, So I graduated and uh, with a degree in hotel restaurant management.
1: Well, I'm sure that came in handy too. So did you go right into restaurants on graduation or did you try something else first?
0: I traveled that summer, which probably one of the better, and it wasn't planned to be like an eye-opening experience. I just wanted to go have fun with my friends, but um, we uh, backpacked through Europe for like the whole summer. I think it was like 12 weeks or something. It was Mm -hmm. crazy. But, you know, back then, you know, it was before, you know, everybody was glued to their computers and like, you know, you would, you would get to these new cities and it would be something you've never seen before, you know, and food cultures that you never experienced before and flavors that you never tasted before. And, you know, the way that other, you know, countries and cultures like sit at a table and the way that they treat food. And it was just like, it was kind of like a crash course in, you know, like global or European cuisine and it was it was like it was really eye-opening and coincidentally i came back from that trip and the day i got back the sous chef had just either quit or gone on vacation or something at an american place so they they actually needed somebody (laughs) i I didn't even unpack I, (laughs) i went i got home and took a shower and got on a train and went into an american place and i basically been working ever since. That was 2001.
1: So when did you open your first restaurant that was yours and not, you know, part of your dad's empire?
0: Um, We opened a restaurant, Mark Ford, which was called Forge at the time in Mm -hmm. 2008.
1: And that's a fine dining restaurant. It has Michelin stars and the works. Um, Was that, something you wanted to do right away, do something in fine dining rather than a more casual
0: place. So I, I, I mean, I, I worked all over. I worked with Patricia Yo, which was fine dining. She was actually trying to open a four-star restaurant called Pazo. Mm. Um, didn't work out, but it was a great experience. And I, I actually went to France and worked in a three-star Michelin restaurant with uh, Michelle Gerard And then I had the really cool opportunity to see firsthand how to like build, I guess you could call it an empire, uh, with BLT and and Laurent Torindel. Um, I, I opened like the first five BLTs with him, I think. And the first like couple were there was BLT steak, which is a steakhouse. And then there was BLT fish, which was obviously based on fish, but you know, we got a Michelin star and, but when we opened BLT market, which isn't there anymore, but it was such a great restaurant. It was, you know, I'd gone from opening like kind of bigger steakhouses and kind of, you know, not so much composed dishes. It was more everything separate. But then when we opened BLT market, it was all about the ingredients kind of similar to an American place. So it was kind of like full circle for me. And, Mm -hmm. and we opened it in the Ritz Carlton and, and, I just, I think it like made me remember I was on kind of like a a path to be like, you know, the corporate chef for BLT and, and it was great. And, and I I enjoyed my time there, but I think when I saw, when we started to create dishes for BLT market, it it made me remember like, you know, how to like, it like got me back in touch with ingredients and Mm -hmm. creating full composed dishes. And it just like. I don't know, it like ignited something inside me. And I just decided that I want to go open my own restaurant. And if you look at my first notes, um, you know, I wanted to have like a small 60-seat restaurant. I wanted to do 65 covers a night, <laughs> you know, like kind of all before you get there and have to start paying bills, you know, you, you have this fantasy. But to be honest, if you look at my first notes from my first book, um now it's kind of pretty close to what I wanted, you know, we wanted a a neighborhood restaurant that served fine dining food, but in an atmosphere that everybody could come into. And I think we've, you know, now 15 years later, I think we've we've accomplished that. It, it turned into, you know, I think from the outside, you know, like you said, it has Michelin stars and, you know, famous chef. And from the outside looking in, if you've never been there, like it might sound fancy, but once you get there, it's, To me, it's like the epitome of a New York City neighborhood restaurant where, you know, you could come and sit at the bar and, Mm -hmm. you know, have a tomato salad and the chicken and leave, or you could come and sit in the dining room and have a tasting menu. Mm -hmm. You know, I was, I was kind of inspired. I think Gramercy Tavern is a great example of a, of a really like special New York City uh, restaurant where I don't, I don't know if you'd call Gramercy Tavern fancy, but it's you know, it's it's fine dining, and I and I I you know I took that and ran with it.
1: Mm. Well, I'm more familiar with Peasant because I ate there recently, and that's really a neighborhood restaurant too. That has a, you know a chef-driven menu for sure, but relies a lot on ingredients. So I guess you took that model when you took over Peasant, although it kind of had established that model already. So tell me a little bit about how you came to peasant and how you took it over from Frank to Carlo.
0: Yeah. I mean, listen, it's, I mean, you know, I like to think, you know, the universe has a funny way of, you know, I don't want to say giving you what you want, but um, you know, good things happen, I think to to good people and Mm -hmm. um, you know, karma. And, you know, I've, i worked my butt off for many, many years. I still am. And I, I I was hosting an event at Peasant, which was one of my favorite restaurants. I, I ate there many times. I used to live on Mulberry Street, and I was hosting the event. and I gave a speech to the crowd about how much I love Peasant. I love Frank, and how much I respect what he does. You know, he was he was no matter how many times I ate there, he was always there on the pasta station, which I found so like unbelievable in today's day and age. Mm. And, you know, I just gave this very honest, heartfelt speech about how, you know, New York needs more restaurants like this. And, and after uh, the dinner, we're having a glass of wine at the bar. And, you know, he basically kind of just wanted to make sure I kind of meant everything I said. And I wasn't just <laughs> making a speech to make a speech. And, you know, I laughed. And, and then a couple months later, he, he called me and told me that he had a secret that they were retiring and that he didn't want the restaurant to, or didn't want the space to turn into like an Apple store or a Starbucks, you know, too much, his words, like too much, um, you know, like blood, sweat and tears have, have gone into that, mm. this place. And, and, you know, I, I, I want to give it to somebody that I know will kind of respect the, the house basically was what he said. Mm. Um, he didn't want me to keep it as peasant. It was my idea. I, 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 then asked him, you know, uh, you know, thank you. I'd be honored and humbled to, to, to take over the the space. And then after I thought about it for, you know, a day or a week or whatever it was, I, I asked him if I could keep it peasant because, you know, I love peasant. And I think, you know, there are some restaurants, you know, over time that, you know, get passed down to other people, whether it's in the family or down to the chef. And they, they, they keep going as that restaurant. And I thought peasant could be one of those places. So he, he didn't, he didn't even hesitate. He said, sure. You know, it's yours now. You can do whatever you want with it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we, you know, we took it over as peasant in January, 2020 mm-hmm. and it was, it it has been, and was such a dream to, I mean, you've seen the kitchen there. I mean, they don't build them like that anymore. So it's like, you know, you really talk about ingredients because like, you can't really hide behind too many things. You know what I mean? It's a wood burning grill and a wood burning oven. It's like, you know, we take octopus and we marinate it and we put it in the oven. We take squid and we marinate it and stuff it and put it in the oven. We take you know, peas and we add a little spice and we grill them. Like, you know what I mean? It's like you have to you have to really focus on getting beautiful ingredients and then letting the smoke and the char and the grill kind of do their magic.
1: Mm. And how does it differ from Marc um, I You know, both of them are pretty much fine dining, but peasant ha- might have a slightly more casual vibe. But how does it differ or is it are you extending what you're doing yet? Mark Forgione?
0: Well, I think Mark Forgione is, you know, I always call it like, again, I said before, it's like a New York City restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, New York City is a giant melting pot. And as I said before, I worked for a lot of different chefs with a lot of different styles. So I think Mark Forgione is like kind of the epitome of a melting pot. Again, I, I, it's not fusion by any means, but it's like, okay. it's it's New York City. It's You know, we have Chinese ingredients, we have Japanese ingredients, we have uh, Italian ingredients, you know, it's like, and then all kind of coming together, which I guess is American, right? I mean, that's what America is, not just New York City. And Peasant, um, I really try to focus on it being, again, American, but an Italian-American restaurant. And, you know, I tell people all the time, if when you go to Italy, you know, really all they're doing is taking what's around them. And in their microclimate and their area of Italy, you know, uh, the cuisines change from 10 miles north and then 10 miles north, it changes again. And then 10 miles north, it changes again. Um, So what I'm doing is, you know, again, trying to use as much local products as I can Mm -hmm. and treating them the way an Italian chef or home cook would.
1: So you also have a Laotian restaurant that you're a partner in and a steakhouse American cut. Are, are you very active in those or are you mostly, um, you leave it to the chefs at those restaurants?
0: Uh, the steakhouse I'm no longer affiliated with, Uh, we could do a whole other interview on that if you want. (laughs) 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 Um, I did create it. Um, again, it's a long, long story, but, um, And the Laotian restaurant, I opened with uh, one of my best friends, and he was my sous chef at the time. Uh, his name is uh, Sula Schwader, And he used to make family, we were roommates at one point too. He used to make these Laotian dishes that would like just blow me away. And I, I'd never tasted anything like it before. It's hard to explain if you've never had Laotian food, but it's like, hmm. it's like I don't know. It's, it's almost like Thai food meets like farm to table. Again, you have to kind of experience it to, right. to understand it. But I basically just told him, you know, whenever you're ready, man, you tell me and like, we'll, we'll go open a ocean restaurant together, man. I, I do not have any input into the food other than I tell him if I like or don't like something. But it's, it's his restaurant that I helped him open.
1: Oh, cool. And that's in New York City, too.
0: That's on Dwayne Street in Tribeca. Yeah. Oh,
1: OK. And so next up, you took over the space at One Fifth was which was formerly Mario Batali's Otto. Yep. And what are you planning for that space?
0: Um, So, you know, talk about kind of coming full circle in life. My father and I, even going back to like pre-pandemic, we were looking in spaces in, in Brooklyn, of all places. We wanted to do like a little restaurant based on kind of the way that the Forgions eat um, like at home and during the holidays in particular. And Mm -hmm. we basically just, you know, most other families might like gather in the living room and watch TV. Like we all kind of gather in the kitchen and cook. Um, you know, my brother's a chef, my mom's a great cook. Um, my grandfather was a great cook. My great, my grandmother loved to cook. Like, you know what I mean? So like, we would just kind of hang out in the kitchen and just keep putting like anti-pasta on the table and eating it while we were standing up. And So we wanted to open a place that serves pizza, which P-I-N-S-A, it's not pizza, Mm -hmm. that my father kind of fell in love with when he was living in uh, Napa Valley. Uh, Mark Miller, Chef Mark Miller turned him on to it. Mm -hmm. Um, So we created our own dough and we knew we wanted to do like small, like call it like Italian tapas. Mm -hmm. And then obviously the... COVID hit and, you know, everything kind of got put on pause, but we had the business plan and the idea. And then I was driving, you know, talk about the universe, putting you where you're supposed to be at the right time. I was driving to peasant and from my apartment and I missed a turn. I was supposed to make a left on, I think 10th street or 14th street or something. I was supposed to make a left and I missed it. Mm -hmm. So I ended up making a left on eighth street. And I saw a space available sign in the window. So I I'm like out of a movie, like I slammed on the brakes (laughs) Thank God, there was nobody behind me. And it was like the heart of COVID, like New York city was frozen. It was like Mm. December, whatever year that was 2020 maybe. Yeah. I think they just initiated the the third shutdown or couldn't eat in restaurants anymore. I mean, it's like a really depressing, horrible time, but I, I get out of the car and I, called the number that was in the window. And three weeks later we were negotiating for the space and, you know, what better space to do this concept? I mean, you know, I always loved uh, that space in particular, the front bar Mm -hmm. and, you know, it kind of the way that the kitchen comes out into the, that bar is like, almost like the way the four Jones like hang out uh, during holidays and stuff, it was just like almost too good to be true. It was like right. This is crazy, you know? It's
1: definitely very. It's designed kind of for Italian tapas.
0: I mean, it's. yeah. I mean, like I said, it was literally like yeah. You know, if you if you manifest greatness, you know, greatness you know happens, right? I mean, it's just right. pretty crazy.
1: Do you have an opening date for that, or is it
0: still in the works? It's very fluid. We're working on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully, this summer.
1: Okay. Cool. Well, I can't wait to try it. So you mentioned that you have a brother who's a chef. I think when I came to Peasant, your sister was working there as well? Yep.
0: She's the general manager. She just got promoted oh. to general manager.
1: <laughs> and she also, does she handle the bar at all
0: or the drinks list or is that someone else? No, uh, we have a beverage manager. whose name is Scott Woltz. Mm-hmm. Um, but Kara is like, you know, the face and the, the kind of the brains and the hospitality behind Peasant. I'm so proud of her. Uh, she's doing an amazing job. Mm. Um, my brother is the corporate chef for Buddy V, you know, the cake boss. Uh-huh. He's based in Las Vegas. And then my other brother, uh, Sean, he actually, I mean, he's a great cook in his own right, but he he sources uh, like these like petrified wood like platters for, mm-hmm. for all of us um, to oh, use cool. a restaurant.
1: So you use those at Peasant?
0: We use them at Peasant and at Restaurant Mark 4 Joan and most likely at at, um, One Fit. Cool.
1: So have you noticed a difference about how guests are expecting dinner these days after the pandemic? Does it differ like than before the pandemic? Are they looking for something different on the menu or a different experience?
0: I think people have gotten a little... I don't know what the word is, but like less finicky. Mm. Well, that's good. Um, you know, New York, I'm a New Yorker, so I can say like, you know, New Yorkers are, you know, a little uh, finicky, you know, like um, they want what they want. And they like what they like and they'll tell you, you know what I mean? And, you know, I think that the, the pandemic obviously brought everyone to their knees, no matter what industry uh, you're in, no matter how much money you have, like it, it humbled everybody. Mm-hmm. And I I feel like like I said the uh, I, I feel like I, you can feel the the humility or the the people being a little more humble and respectful maybe even there's a good word to you know understanding that you know maybe there's somebody working really hard to to put this food out and serve it to you and you know uh, when you come in into the restaurant I'm like just sit down relax and have a good time you know mm-hmm. and I think. I have noticed, um, I mean, listen, it humbled me. I mean, I, I don't, um, I'm, I'm changed in the fact that, uh, you know, I don't maybe get as mad about certain things or take certain things as serious as I may have before because it's like, you know, sometimes, like I said, just sit down and stop and smell the roses, you know? Life's mm, too short.
1: Definitely. But do you have enough um, staff? That seems to be a problem with a lot of restaurateurs these days, just filling all those positions. And some customers get like, you know, I wouldn't say finicky, but they get a little impatient because the service isn't as good. Not me or you, but I'm talking about, you know, in general, that's what I've heard. So is that something that you're dealing with as well?
0: I mean, we're, we've had staff struggles, but for the most part, you know, knock on wood, we're, we're, we're doing, we're doing pretty good in that regard. But again, for me, for the most part, like I said, I, our, our guests have been, our guests have been really great and, and understanding maybe sometimes like, Hey, you know, we're sorry. It took a little longer, but Mm -hmm. there's what it is like, you know, and and we've noticed, you know, maybe we'll bring him an extra drink or, you know, send them some, something to nibble on while they're waiting for whatever it is they're waiting for and you know kind of working together to to be happy instead of the other way around
1: right well that's good because a lot of restaurateurs are a little more impatient now so and as are the customers so it's great to hear that you're still extending that hospitality mm-hmm. So, as we move into the second half of 2022, what are you most looking forward to, both professionally and personally? I'm sure you're looking forward to opening your new restaurant,
0: but yeah, I mean, you know, it's obviously it's been a crazy couple of years, and this year was a really big kind of rebuild. Mm-hmm. We'll call it. Um, I hired more people this year. I think than I have in the last five years, you know, um, and it's all new people and fresh faces and fresh ideas and fresh attitudes. And I did it because I knew that, you know, come the end of this year, you know, we're going to have three restaurants, three new restaurants, Peasant, we're moving restaurant Marc Forgione, and um, obviously One Fifth. And I uh, also just partnered with a hospitality group called Apré Crew, Mm -hmm. which together we are respect hospitality. That's the hospitality group. And so this was a rebuild year. And now next year I'm really looking to, I don't know if settle is the right word, but, you know, kind of uh, excel after the rebuilding, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. We've laid down the tracks and now I'm ready to race on these tracks.
1: Do you have a name for the space that will be taking over one-fifth? Or are you going to call it one-fifth?
0: No, we're calling it one-fifth. Oh, cool. Um, Yeah, the original restaurant in there was called one-fifth. And Mm -hmm. again, kind of going back to what I said about peasant, like, you know, it's almost like respecting kind of like the history of it, you know? Mm -hmm. We didn't know what we were going to call it. We just kept calling it one-fifth, one-fifth, (laughs) one-fifth. And then I saw like one of the original logos from like 1920. And I was just like, you know what? Like, let's do it. Let's just call it one-fifth. Follow what it is.
1: Right. Well, I remember it as One-Fifth because I've, I'm a New Yorker for a long time, too, and it definitely has a legacy and is a well-known property. So I think it'll be great. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. Like I said, I can't wait to try One-Fifth and sample a pinza. I'd also like to return to Peasant very soon and check out the new space for restaurant Marc Forgione. You can listen to this episode of Menu Feed and download past ones on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please join us next time as we explore more menu topics with chefs and restaurateurs.
0: For more than 20 years, Big Ass Fans has been the industry leader in comfort. Its state-of-the-art fans, evaporative coolers, and heaters have transformed the most inhospitable of spaces into the most inviting of environments. Learn more at BigAssFans.com.